Okay, ready? Yep. Okay. This is your strange and beautiful life. Hi, everybody, and welcome to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. My name is Erica J. Schmidt, and on my podcast, I talk to people who may or may not have had the chance to transform their lives into spectacular TED Talks. So you just heard my guest, the shining light and acclaimed fringe performer, Kristen Govers, singing along like a lark to the theme song. I encourage all my guests to sing along as much as they can, and I encourage you to sing along as much as you can. Uh, So Kristen is coming right back. We are going to dive into her work and her wholehearted path towards becoming an artist. Kristen has cerebral palsy, and so beyond her creative process, we discuss disability, dating, and bullying. And what I want to say is if you're a parent, this is a perfect episode to listen to with your kids. Uh, When I first launched the podcast, I was so touched to learn that I had some younger listeners. However, by around episode five, uh, the content sort of slipped out of the PG, PG PG-13 category. Things got a little racy. But I'd say this episode is reasonably family friendly. Uh, If your kids are young, you might want to listen along with them in in little sections. Uh, We really get into bullying, which sadly continues to be terrible and prevalent these days. Kristen grew up in the 80s and 90s, so the tactics may have changed, but, but the hurt, isolation, and impact is as profound as ever, if not worse. So if you are a parent, please open up a dialogue about bullying with your children or child. And if you are an adult, whether or not you have children, whether or not you were bullied or the bully, or you just watched it all happen, it's not too late to find healing. So Let's jump into the episode. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. And I will see you on the other side. (laughs) I'm doing good. Today, my guest is the vivacious writer and performer, Kristen Govers. Kristen is the star and creator of the smash hit fringe play, The Awkward Ballerina. Her playful and heartfelt and gripping one-woman show tells a true story about growing up with big dreams of becoming a ballet dancer when you also have cerebral palsy. The Awkward Ballerina was nominated for Best English Production and Most Promising Emerging Artist. Its fringe debut was such a success that Kristen had the chance to perform the show a total of 12 times. And then this year, 2023, she translated and produced a French version, La Ballerine Maladroite, to large and delighted crowds. In honor of her fringe show, Kristen founded Two Left Feet Productions Montreal. 
Beyond theater and writing, her company aims to touch hearts, promote inclusivity, and raise awareness about what it's like to live with a disability. We're almost done. She's a very high achiever. Okay, so these days, Kristen is working on a new show called Pregnant, and it's still awkward. And we can't wait because we love awkward. Uh, And so here's Kristen. Hello, Kristen. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. How are you doing? Hi, Erica. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm good. Yeah, so I'll just correct you. It was 12 times, 11 times in person, and then one time over Zoom. Well, that's 12 times. Okay, 12 times, times, right? Because they're still not quite the heart of the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, like a marvelous fringe debut. And so... I guess when you grew up, you didn't grow up to be a ballerina. You grew up to be an artist, fabulous artist. And we're going to talk about creativity and writing later. But first, let's go back to like three, four, five-year-old Kristen in your living room. And you wanted to be a ballerina. And so can you remember what did that feel like? So my parents love music. Music was always a big part of my life growing up, especially as a, a young child. I remember music coming from the stereo, listening to Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. <laughs> at four years old. I, I remember being sitting right next to the stereo so I could hear the music. I just I just loved the sound and, and I could always feel my feet moving and my body always seemed to just go with the music. And I always had this feeling to just get up and move. It was never easy and I always found like, when I wanted to make graceful movements, those those kind of things just didn't happen. But I did it anyways. Right. So in your head, you're really graceful. Exactly. And in, on the living room floor, you must have been a bit graceful. As a five-year-old, I, I think my parents thought it was graceful. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I thought it was graceful. I was too young. Right. But I mean, I was dreaming. I was in kind of this dream stance I guess and um I remember watching figure skating on tv oh yeah yeah and thinking how beautiful it was and how graceful it was and they just seemed to move as if they were floating on the ice and then I saw um the nutcracker Mm. and I was completely mesmerized by the ballet dancers and the fact that they could stand on the tips of their toes like that oh and I so wanted to do it I remember so wanting to do it and it's unbelievable to be so young and to have that that idea in your head, that kind of this magical moment. But yeah, I, I think thinking about it now, it's it's giving me a lot of nostalgia. But yeah, no, we. Uh, I, I remember telling my mom I wanted to be a ballerina. Right. And what was your favorite song back then? Do you remember? So I loved. My dad would play "Bad Bad Leroy Brown" on the. Oh on the piano okay <laughs> I loved bad bad Leroy Brown he played what else was it oh touch of class which I actually mentioned in my show um I used to sing that with my dad all the time and I loved Les, Mi- Les Mis oh my goodness so, I dreamed a dream and days yeah. gone by oh, so and I knew about these things at a very young age right. like all this stuff at a very young age and I I remember singing all of these songs with my right. dad it's so funny now at 38, I don't remember the words. Right, but you had um, all of them. But right. I remember my dad playing them and I remember standing beside him. His his dad also played piano and beautifully. So that was always going on in the house. Mm-hmm. Grew so, up with like... Strong. So if there was not 
a piano playing or a stereo on um, and everybody liked different kinds of music so I was exposed to a lot of different styles my mm-hmm. grandparents listened to classical and that's kind of where I got my love for classical my grandmother mm-hmm. loved ballet and she took me to see the Nutcracker for the first time that was unbelievable I remember sitting there and thinking this this is magic this doesn't right. really this doesn't really happen <laughs> <laughs> and you're right there the, yeah 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 And like, I just was very struck. I was like emotional. It really felt like you had very wonderful parents. And I mean, of course, you're going to present their best version too (laughs) in the play. But it's, yeah, it sounds like they really raised you to work hard and conquer your challenges. But yeah, there you are, the nutcracker. You want to be a ballerina. And I mean, for any child, becoming a ballerina is a bit of a stretch, right? Like I think in England, they do x-rays to make sure your hips like rotate enough so that like wow and then they're just like oh no 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 you don't like your femur bones are not made in a way that you will be a happy and successful ballerina and then they just don't bother I think I heard that maybe it's an urban legend Uh, but for you you have cerebral palsy so there's like some extra extra challenges and I heard you say in interviews and my little brother I wanted to show you a picture but my little like honorary brother Glendon had cerebral palsy a very different experience than your experience but maybe some people a lot of people don't seem to know what it is so can you give them a little lesson and sort of what what it's like for you of course um so well first of all cerebral palsy is caused by damage to the brain Mm -hmm. um or or an issues with the development of the brain caused by lack of oxygen from what I was told growing Mm up And so it affects your coordination, your balance, uh, your fine motor skills, but it varies in in different Mm -hmm. people and in uh, severity levels, right? In my case, uh, mostly my fine motor skills were affected. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have difficulty with my coordination, with my balance, and I also have involuntary muscle spasms. Oh, yeah. So often when I'm tired or, you know, I've just done a lot, my body... My body jumps or reacts mm-hmm. um, without kind of my knowledge. It, it sort of just happens. So I would say I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense I, I can dress myself and I can feed myself and I can, you know, I can take showers and do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But everything that I do do takes a little longer. And more energy. And maybe. more energy. Yeah. So getting dressed, there's ways that I do that. I don't stand up to to put stuff on I sit down you know when I tie my shoes bending is is difficult for Mm -hmm. me so I sit and I tie my shoes and often you know if I have a day where it's a little bit harder and I'm having these spasms sometimes it's hard to get my foot in the shoe because my foot's kind of like stuck like in a in a stuck motion because I'm it's like curled up kind of in a spasm yeah kind of and is it do you have like problems with like inflammation and pain also yeah so especially when it's hot I get Mm. swollen feet swollen ankles and then of course wearing shoes isn't always comfortable but um it's a lot easier for me to keep my balance with with shoes on and often a shoe that holds my ankle in place because my ankles are pretty weak and I can't wear heels because the, yeah, the, they're bad for you anyways, but they're just not. not. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, the my back pain, I, ha- I get a lot of back pain. That's like an everyday thing. Okay. Um, and that's just from, you know, being on my feet, because being on my feet's a little tougher. 
I could say that summer is a bit easier on me because the roads are clear and there's right. not ice and snow that I have to okay, yeah, that makes make sense. my way through. When ice and snow is there, I mean, it's difficult for anyone, really. Mm-hmm. It's harder to, yeah, to maneuver. Yeah, high risk of injuries. Um, but ice and snow for me is... It, it just makes it more challenging. My muscles become a little stiffer because of the cold weather. Yeah. And so often, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I push myself to get outside. Right. But it's not the thing that I really want to it's do. It's a lot of effort. Do you ever use like crutches or anything? Um, No, I have actually, I don't. But I often, if I go for a walk in the winter, it's often with my son and my husband and yeah. like I'll grab an arm. Yeah, or, right. <laughs> or we'll avoid rough terrain you know stairs are challenging yeah i need a railing i can't go down the stairs with, or up the stairs without a railing hand, yeah but you just find ways you adapt yeah. you adapt yeah. you find yeah. an easier way of, of going about it yeah i guess like what i want to say is that sometimes people think that cerebral palsy like it's just there's such a lot of expressions of it and like you said it depends it's not a progressive condition right like no you so, you're born with it due to lack of oxygen. At yeah, birth, so, so cerebral palsy does not get worse. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get worse. However, it's important to mention that the symptoms you do have, the exact symptoms you do have, can change through your lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we when we get older, our bodies experience changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe when we were 20, we could do 50 jumping jacks. Yeah. And when we're 70... Those jumping jacks are not a little as, more difficult. Not as fluid. <laughs> right. You lose your flexibility. Um, so in in my case, when I was 17, you know, walking in the winter was hard, but not super difficult. Right. Um, now, 38, it's a little more difficult. Right. But I got older. So, yeah. And this is just age it's we can't attribute it to, to cerebral palsy, to cerebral palsy getting worse. Mm-hmm. It's just it comes with having a disability with age like anyone who yeah i mean if you look at it that way and like doctors will say it's not progressive but it's important to note that someone with cerebral palsy may face a more difficult challenge with something that's already existent mm-hmm. so if com- going up the stairs was hard at 17 well at 35 it might be even more challenging right it's just that's the way it goes yeah with glendon so glendon was like the most i don't know what you're supposed to say i always say it's complex cerebral palsy but he he used a wheelchair he needed help with everything and he i've actually worked with a couple with cerebral palsy they're amazing but they they all have like they also are not quite full assistance but they have power chairs and they i think they can bear some weight but they you know they don't walk so much and they also, their speech is affected. Mm-hmm. So I would help them write their homework or one of the men I helped him with his write a screenplay, but they have like three degrees. They're just constantly getting degrees. Um, so there's no intellectual disability there. And sometimes I think like you can see somebody who's like physically different and just assume that they have an intellectual disability. Like Glendon did have pretty, I mean, maybe if he'd had certain exposure, but he was like, he he did have an intellectual disability. He didn't have a very... He, he didn't have a super clear yes and no. He could say yes and no, you'd know if you knew him well. Um, but his communication was like he didn't speak verbally, obviously. But yeah, just such a wide, a wide range. And then, but like even, you know, you're able to like walk around. But you had to have surgeries, I think, when you were younger. Yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't walking when I was supposed to. 
like you know they usually give ages when when they're when you go see your pediatrician they'll the with your child they'll say okay well they're doing this at this age and that they should be doing this at this age milestones milestones exactly and uh, in my case I wasn't hitting that milestone Mm -hmm. and my mom noticed and so did my dad so they decided to consult a specialist and now the first specialist they went to see really told them she's going through a phase and oh no of course that didn't that did not sit well with them and you were like two or three or something uh, i was a year almost two years old oh at and that you point. weren't walking yet so so then they consulted a different specialist and without even doing any testing um he just had me you know kind of move around and, and test the way my muscles were functioning and he looked at my parents and he said well i'm 99.9% sure she's she's got cerebral palsy right. without doing any tests. And of course after that they ordered tests and they and and then they found out that I I did in fact have cerebral palsy mm-hmm. although a mild yeah form of it mm-hmm. that I would have some challenges and that I would you know have to address those challenges and of course adapt to them. And of course they did it they did the surgery in order to allow me to be able to properly put my feet on the ground mm-hmm. because um my feet were uh, were turned in okay. so I couldn't place them properly on the ground and I was kind of walking heavy heavy footed okay and almost like in a marching yeah a marching which is hard on way. your legs maybe tired so and and a sh- like a marching shuffle, I guess mm-hmm. that's the best way to explain it. So uh, they had to loosen the Achilles tendons oh. so that my feet would kind of open. Or they can or, do that. Yeah, they that's can do amazing. it. Um, and then and then I was able to to walk. Right. Um, they tried to correct it at first with leg braces. Yeah, Glendon had leg braces all most of and his life. Unfortunately, that didn't. Yeah, right. That and didn't they're so take. uncomfortable too. They're not comfortable. <laughs> they're definitely not comfortable. And I remember them. I remember wearing them and I remember complaining about having to wear them. Yeah. But then when we did the surgery, it, it's funny. I I remember at first not being happy because when I first had the surgery, I could not walk. And then as I did therapy and I, I kind of relearned how to walk again, I was... It almost sort of like a freedom, you know. Right. And and, and since then, um, it's it, it's been probably the thing that I appreciate the most, being able to walk around, to get around. Right. I, I really I really appreciate the gift of being able to do those things daily, like mm-hmm. dress myself and walk around and and pick up my son. Even though mm. even though it's challenging. I mean, he's five now, so there's not really any. <laughs> carrying him around but being able to pick up a little baby and mm-hmm. hold that baby in my arms and it's a pretty great gift yeah right so, yeah. yeah yeah so like every time you walk you're like yes <laughs> yeah I mean the thing is one thing I've learned probably in my lifetime is that you gotta be happy with what you have right <laughs> and no matter what that is right and uh I think I just love love life in general yeah. and I'm just happy that I have a very good life right so I try to focus on the positive things and right. not so much the negative things um, some people are better at that than others it sounds it does seem like you're good at that it's but, challenging yeah it's challenging even even for the most positive right people 
Because if uh, if we're supposed to walk through life without complaining, well, <laughs> I don't think that's easy for anybody. Right. So you have your lovely parents. Uh, you also had a little brother who was a bit, a couple year, two years younger than you, maybe. Yeah, he's a couple years younger than. Yeah, I'm. and like I love sibling dynamics, but yours is interesting because like you are coming to physical milestones at different times than your brother, right? And sometimes at the same time, like I guess later than usual, and then sometimes at the same time as your brother, even though he's younger. And then in the awkward ballerina, there's a scene where you're learning how to ride a bike. And he is too. And like, instead of being like resentful, you're just like, you kind of use him as inspiration and you're like riding together and cheering each other on. But like, do you, like, did you ever struggle? I mean, I think even the most loving siblings struggle with sibling rivalry, but did you ever have any kind of dynamics like that? Like, did like, cause things were easier for him or like, maybe he's like, you got more attention cause you had appointments and stuff. So I think I lived, I've lived in a family my whole life who have never treated me like I was living uh, with cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. But my brother and I, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a, a rivalry. <laughs> I, I would say we have, we were, and we have our whole life been competitive uh, <laughs> with one another in, in a good way. My brother was my best friend growing up and he's still my best friend today. And a lot of that comes with the fact that my brother didn't see my difficulties. Right. And he still doesn't see them. I mean, he knows they're there, but it's not the topic of discussion. Mm -hmm. He just encouraged me to do, even when we were very young. He just, come on, you can do it. (laughs) And so because, because of that, I think... If I saw him do it or I felt discouraged or I felt like I couldn't because either I fell too many times or it required too much balance or, you know, it hurt to do it. I just said, well, he's doing it. So I'm going to do it. What's your brother's name? Uh, Darren. Darren. Like, okay. And he and the thing is, we still do that today (laughs) with simple things like a board game or a card Uh. game, you know. Sometimes uh, we play games and I know he's really good at that game because uh, he's played it a million times. And I insist in my mind that at some point I'm going to beat him. And you do probably. <laughs> I do. Yeah. At times. Yeah. But sometimes he's just really good. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I've never felt that I had to do what he did. I just felt like if he can, then... I guess I can. Right. Anybody can. And often I do it. And yeah, maybe it wouldn't turn out the same way. But I, the point is I did it. Yeah. So even if I did it, but awkwardly. <laughs> we love awkward. Right. So I, you know, I'm grateful to my brother for that. Because uh-huh. it's kind of given me that attitude in my whole life. You know, when right. I'm faced with a, a challenge or something difficult. I just, I sometimes hear his voice in my head. You, you can do it, you know, yeah. and, uh, and often I do it bit of difficulty at times, but I manage. Oh, so yeah, I, I, I definitely, I'm grateful for that relationship that I have with him. It got me through a really tough 
times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad that he was there. You know, he protected me a lot. He mm-hmm. kept me close, stood up for me. But he's also let me just do a lot of things on my own. Mm-hmm. And my parents, my parents did. My family did. They they were that way. But my brother and I were like always together. Right. And we're still always together. Like a team. Yeah, he, he's, he's a good, good guy. Yeah, so about your show a little bit. So I saw the French version, La Ballerine Maladroite, and it's very vivid and very touching. And yeah, again, I guess like you're saying that your family didn't treat you any differently, but at the same time, they seemed very supportive. And like, I loved, like, I loved how your mother was just like ready to kind of like raise hell whenever anybody gave you hell. Like she was like the, the soccer coach, the high school soccer coach, like left you on the bench all season. And she was like, what, what is this? And like, I guess you had like a really mean gym teacher who had this very upsetting way of choosing teams, which I mean, that's just a recipe for great heartbreak across high school. But uh, there were some challenges that your family couldn't protect you from. And can you tell us a little bit about like how bullying played into your childhood? And I guess just like how relentlessly, how relentlessly cruel children can be and maybe adults too, I think. We're yeah. Not innocent. Um, so a lot my parents knew about, especially when I was younger, the soccer coach, uh, for example, uh, that we ta- that I talk about in my show. And then my gym teacher, I would come home from school and there were times where I would pretend to be sick because I didn't want to go to school because I didn't want to feel the way that I was feeling whenever I went into gym class or whenever some kid picked on me. Um, there was There was a kid in elementary school that picked on me every single day mm. um and he, he he did terrible things he he put my lip uh between a locker and slammed the door no, and I so came painful. home with a big fat lip and there were days where I, I would be like I, I don't feel well today I don't want to go to Can't school and I think my parents caught on really quickly that this was not just me you know being Raising, actually yeah. sick this this was me trying to say I I don't want to go to school. <laughs> yeah. I ended up switching schools uh, in elementary, going to a new elementary school. But then, of course, there was a new set of kids mm-hmm. and a new set of bullies. And often it was a kid that was maybe taller than me mm. or, you know, they knew that I wasn't as steady on my feet. Mm-hmm. So they would they would kind of ed- edge me on, you know, try mm-hmm. to get me to get up upset and... I'm not a person who gets upset that easily. Right. And of course, you try to ignore it because you don't want to create the problems. But they would push me. They would trip me on purpose if they saw me walking because they knew that I just didn't have the balance or the, you know, I wasn't always looking all the time at where I was going. Like I always had my my um, eyes front. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to focus on where the next place yeah. I had to go was. And... um and I remember going to the bus one day and this kid stuck um, their foot out. Oh, no. And I didn't see it. But they did it on purpose. And I went flying and I smashed my face on the, oh. like a mar- it's a marble type floor. So right. I, I smashed my face and I was bleeding everywhere. 
and I, it, those images are so clear to me now, even as an adult, because they were so impactful in a neg, you know, yeah. in, in a negative way. You know, I say my life is super happy, but those things were super traumatic and they made it that I didn't want. I, I mean, I don't have a lot of good memories about going to school. No. Um, and then I'd come home and of course, then I'd have the bully waiting for me. Yeah, because there was a striking incident in your play. Well, if you don't want to spoil it, but maybe it's like... No, but I I don't mind talking about other incidents that happened. Uh, I do talk about uh, this particular person in my play, but they lived on our street Mm -hmm. and I don't know what it was. It was like I had a target. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of the kids were picked on by this person right the, um, mean, the mean girl or guy she, she was just a mean she just mean was person mean. i don't know if she's like that today because i don't i don't Did speak you ever look to her, her up no yes i have uh. i've looked her up and i've tried so many times to because there's things i want to say yeah but i never it's like i always step back you, you haven't know? you haven't like actually reached out to her no okay because she was the worst for me yeah. um and she did some things to me that I that I'm probably never gonna forget. Um, I haven't forgotten them yet, so I don't think I'll yeah. end up forgetting them. But she she would she cut my hair. No. Um, one time she told me that we were gonna play hairdresser, and instead of you know instead of me thinking that this was actually uh, like I thought this was actually gonna be a game like yeah. a make believe game, and Do instead braids, she cut yeah. all my hair off. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> she did the same thing to my brother how old were you guys uh we were at the time probably seven or six or seven and it's as though she waited for me to leave my house so that as soon as I would get out of the house she would be there to either pick me up and throw me or push me or punch me or kick me or do whatever she could to make me be afraid to leave the house so leaving the house was a challenge it was scary it mm-hmm. was because i she was on my street and we were kids so kids play outside yeah. a lot of the time and it and it was very traumatic just very very traumatic so if i if i came home there was a bully if i went to school there's no safe place there was except a bully except when inside. i was inside and right. of course i had my best friend next door but going to her house was like well do i want to go over to her house because if i leave the house and then the bully bullies outside well i'm not gonna make it to her house you know so that was always a thing and i'd just be afraid to be me around her my girlfriend and i used to like to put on shows on the patio at her (laughs) her house her her mom had this big patio Mm -hmm. and it it looked like a stage so we would go out there with her little dress-up kit she had she had this little you know dresser that she treasure trunk type treasure trunk kind of thing and we would choose outfits from there and the she, best part of childhood yeah and we just pretend to be other people and then you know we'd play music on 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 the radio and at the time we we were big fans of ace of, ace of bass and oh the sign so, yeah oh my goodness we so could we, have sang that and we had practiced a ton of like little dances and then we would put up uh, put on a show for our parents and i remember there were days I just didn't want to go out on the balcony because she'd be there and she would call us names and she would particularly point me out, you know, almost right. and like 
just to highlight the fact that I was there and that she didn't like me for whatever her reasons Yeah, cruel. And she's the same age as you or older? She's a bit older. Not not a ton older. I think maybe, if I remember correctly, we were like a year apart. Right. but, But she's just tough and like not... She just preyed on weaknesses, really. And so um, I don't know what she's like today. She could be a very nice adult woman. I don't know. If so, that probably haunts her, right? Yeah, I'm sure she doesn't forget. Like, especially it was ongoing like that. I'm sure she didn't forget. That's it. And, you know, I hope that for her anyways, that the things that happened when she was younger, hopefully she's reflected on them. That's that's my hope, that Mm -hmm. she's reflected on them. We make choices in life, we make decisions, we say things, and sometimes we regret them, and sometimes we don't. But I think we don't always know when we're young. Yeah. That's something that I've thought about a lot is those kids that did those things, to me, they were young too, and they were learning from somewhere. Right, yeah, that is very tragic about it. And so... Is it completely their fault that they were that way? I mean, when you're that age, is it completely your fault? Because we're still growing and learning. I mean, we still grow and learn as adults. Yeah, and some of us have not learned and treat people <laughs> and very a, badly. Exactly. It's a, it's a shame. But I think, I, I think we were talking about it this morning, my husband and I. We still learn and grow as adults. We still say things we, we shouldn't. shouldn't say. The difference is if you realize it after, that's what's important. If you go back and you correct that and you, the, and you repair the damage. What, what you've said. Um, when we're kids, we don't always think that way. We don't always think, oh, well, I just said that and that hurt that person. Yeah, it kind of and if an nobody's adult, telling us, yeah. other than the person who's angry, for example, my mom, if it's just my mom saying it, well to that child at the time that's not their parent yeah that's not you know so it's great that my mom could say hey you shouldn't do that it's not nice you shouldn't treat somebody like that it's but that kid goes home after and if the other person on the other side you know of that of that house that Mm -hmm. mom or that dad or that parent doesn't say anything yeah they'll just find another victim it's, it's what it is. I don't know. For whatever reason, I feel like this woman's name is Melissa, but I'm not sure. But I'm just thinking. So, okay. Of so Melissa. the bully down the street, her name was Macy. Oh, Macy. And the, and I use Macy because I don't want to use her real name. Right. Just out of respect to her mm-hmm. and her family. And uh, the bully I had at school, I used to call him Scary Aiden. Aiden. Aiden's such a hot name, usually. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah, and, and believe it or not, Aiden and I, we talk today. Oh, he apologized yes. and stuff? Yeah. Yes. I mean, sometimes kids are just like, oh, I'm a dick. Like, I've had people, I guess, like, I have, it's a very different situation, but I sometimes, I, I put myself in a situation where I take a lot of advice and people like to be like, oh, you know, Erica, you are great. You could be way better if, and people, they just love, I'm just seem to be a great target for advice. <laughs> And it can get a little patronizing and condescending in certain situations. And I, I think like the, the situations I'm thinking of, people did mean well. But I've had recently, this year, people were like, 
I was so harsh. Like I was, I was so rough with you. I was so critical. Like who was I to do that? And I was like, ah, oh, it's all right. I was open to feedback, right? But like, there's certain situations where it's just been way too extreme, and I haven't gotten apologies. But I think that there is some, there's, there's something healing about that. Like having somebody come back and be like, I'm really sorry. I was full of shit. Like I don't know where that came from. It was, wasn't um, fair to you. It, for me, that was really healing. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, for him to come back and apologize to mm-hmm. me and t- for us to be able to have a conversation today yeah. is even more it's it's great I'm I'm glad um doesn't take what happened away mm-hmm. but it definitely I, I'm a person who likes to forgive yeah and you know if you can come back after that many years and and say hey you know what I was a kid I said things I really should not have said and I did things I shouldn't have done and I feel really bad about them so I just wanted to say sorry that's big yeah that's big yes you didn't have to do that you didn't have to find me I mean he found me on social media was he in recovery or something or no No, just just like he so he got older and he started a family and I don't know. Like maybe he saw that I was doing well and that life was good and he remembered me from school. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we just do that. You know, we think, oh, one time I I said something I really shouldn't have and I felt really bad about it. Um, I don't know if he lived with that after that happened. Like after when we were kids, we were really young. I mean, grade grade one. Right, yeah. (laughs) Grade one. So, I mean... That's a long time. And to remember that after so long yeah, on top right. of it. Um, but yeah, it's quite nice that I, I speak to him now. Yeah. Um, healing for him too, right? Yeah. And really, he's a very good person. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So. It never feels good. You know, certain relationships that haven't worked out where somebody has behaved very, very badly. And it doesn't help to demonize them, right? Like it really, I mean, I'm sure Brene Brown is quoted on this millions of times but like she's like just like I believe that everybody's doing the best they can and that has made my life easier and it doesn't mean that you can tolerate abuse or no. bullying but like yeah it's just like because some there's all these lists on the internet about like this person's a narcissist they're a monster you can never negotiate or expect any kind of forgiveness from them and that's just it's not helpful to me I don't know it just doesn't help to demonize people and sometimes you do just need to cut people out and that's it but if you can have that sort of redemption story. And I think like the, the main thing is that, you know, when I talk about bullying in my show, for example, I don't talk about it to, to demonize, let's yeah. say those, those people. I do it to educate people on what bullying does to the other person. Yeah. In general, bullying is, it's a dangerous thing. Yeah. And it's put people in, situations that are very dangerous and it's it you remember it I mean I wrote about it this is this is 30 years ago yeah you remember it and those things stay with you and and you take good from it because you 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 take it and you use it to teach like for example I teach my son Mm -hmm. to be kind I say to my son be kind you don't know what someone else is going through. You don't know somebody else's life. And before we say something, we think about, it. you know, that's it. We're not going to be perfect, but we should think about it before we say it or before we do it because we don't know what that's going to do to the other person. And so that's why I talk about those incidents in my show. 
the, the, the bullying in my show because I want people to see what that does to mm -hmm. the other person. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, the next time someone says something they shouldn't or does something they shouldn't, they'll either say sorry or they won't do it. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like generate a sense of empathy and like... Yeah, I mean, it's important. Accountability to... for the impact you yeah. have. So, but you were able to have like fulfilling and wonderful friendships like it sounds like you have been able to have really great people around you in your life but you mentioned I heard you mention in in your interviews that dating was a challenge which I think that a lot of us can relate to I mean you are divinely beautiful anyone who saw the show I mean I'm not sure we we're allowed to say that and shouldn't comment too much on people's appearances but um but I really felt for Kristen a teenager Kristen at the high school dance which can be a devastating setting for anyone uh but you're like thinking that this dude what was his name britson britson well that's a hot name um you're thinking <laughs> britson is good maybe he's gonna ask me to dance and then suddenly you're like oh no 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 he's been looking at this other girl the whole time and you just really felt for her like i think we've all been there it's like oh me are you gonna pick me oh and yeah can you describe that feeling and then like how did you like growing up how did you forge the dating landscape and and come meet your husband so I remember that day at the dance very, very well. It's kind of like when you're in a movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've seen some of those movies with school dances. Yeah. Where you just, or or even like in a nightmare where you have a bunch of voices shouting at you. Yeah. And you just feel kind of trapped and uh, very alone and very, um, I, I just remember being scared. I'm feeling like people were looking at me and judging me. Mm-hmm. Without even knowing if that was true, really. But that's what my mind was telling like everybody me. Everybody you know? is looking at you and they know you didn't get picked and you're all alone and you're never, you're going to be alone forever. Exactly. But that particular day was something because I had a crush on this guy for like the longest time. Yeah, those can go on and for 10 years. And his girlfriend was so cruel to me like no. it was like she made it her mission on a daily basis to just make me feel uncomfortable about being me I didn't you know the day I went to the dance and I was standing there and I had all these people around me I was thinking to myself I don't like me right now mm -hmm. and that having to say to yourself I don't like me and I think that's something that my parents learned through my show because I don't think I ever really told my parents you know I don't like me right now. Because you put on a very happy front, right? I, You're bubbly. I told my parents a lot. Like I was very open with my parents, but then there's a lot of things I didn't tell them. Right. Like how I was feeling in a moment when I felt very alone or I felt like everything was closing in on me. And then I had to make this, you know, decision and I had to make it quick because it was never going to you know, never going to happen again. Like this dance, like if I didn't, if I didn't dance with this guy, it was never going to happen again. Right. So I had to like seize that moment because if I didn't seize that moment, that would be the last time. Right. So when I do the show, and even though I've done it as often as I've done it, I'm in that moment every time. And I feel that moment every time because my heart starts to race and I, and, and just the changing of the lights and, and knowing that there's an audience staring back at me it kind of feels like I'm in that room again it it was very tough day and I remember going home after that thinking yeah I don't want to go to a dance again I don't want to 
deal with yeah, that I'm feeling done. again. It's like after a bad date, we're done. Yeah. Um, but then I did go to school dance again after that. But then the second time that that happened, my crush and some other kid at the school decided that they, they thought it would be funny if they pretended to show interest in me. Oh, no, no, no. And then, so and then get That's me the to dance and then have like everyone circle around me and just laugh at me, which was that's awful that's the worst ever um but oddly enough every time that happened even though i got home and i'd say i'm not doing it again i'd do it again and eventually i'd go to a school dance where the guy would ask me to dance and he really asked me to dance you know and that that person ended up being a friend that i still have today because there are there are good people in the world and there are people that don't think that those jokes are funny yeah and, um, i wonder if a lot of people don't think it's funny but then they just go along with the ringleader well, i mean when you're in high school i think and I, i'm not i mean i can't say that for sure i'm just saying it thinking the way i would think is when i was in high school everyone was trying to fit in mm-hmm. you're trying to find yourself you're trying to like kind of figure out where you belong and we're all going through our own things. Yeah. Some of us, you know, more than others. I don't know. Like, we're not living in each other's lives. We're just going to school together. And we know what we know from that. And and that's it, right? So, uh, again, like I said before, we don't know what people are going through. Yeah. So, are they saying that because they're going through things? Or are they acting that way because they're going through things? Uh, I don't know. But it doesn't change the fact that that moment was excruciating difficult and excruciating especially because you're also starting to discover things like love and you know relationships and intimacy and we're we're learning those things right so and you you have different desires at 13 than you did at 9 and 15 and Mm -hmm. 16 like so your body's changing everything's changing and you're your hormones are you know so you just don't it's a longing and you want to feel a connection with somebody and that's not always just with your parents or with you know uh friends but also with a partner and so yeah it was it was quite difficult the stakes feel high at that age the emotions are so high yeah but then you met your husband like in university or something so what happened was I, I did date people between, you know, uh, I, I guess you'd say when I hit 16, I had my first boyfriend and um, then we moved, we moved actually to Ontario and okay. I went to school out in Ontario. Okay. And I, I dated very like, you know, not serious dating at that point. And then I had my first serious boyfriend at 18 and I talk about it in my show how, you know, they treated me as though I was a burden he was not a nice person mm, right and i don't talk about it often because he was not a nice person and there are in there are things there that maybe i'm not comfortable or ready to talk right. about and then when i moved back to montreal i moved back to, to kind of start over mm-hmm. try to figure out what i wanted to do and that was uh, i decided i wanted to go back to school and and then i enrolled at concordia uh, university in literature because i always wanted to write Um, and I dated some, some guys in university, but, uh, right before I met 
uh, my husband, I literally had a guy that I was dating that I was dating for quite some time who uh, I was always very upfront when I dated a guy. I said, look, uh, you know, I have cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. and I'm telling you this not because I think you're going to think any differently of me, but just because I want you to be aware that Mm -hmm. there are things that I go through on a day to day that um, you might be wondering about. So uh, I would tell them. And often when I would be out with this particular guy, you know, we, we'd go fishing, we'd do things together. I would not feel well. I would have a bad day. My back would be sore or I would say, could we go home because mm-hmm. I'm not well today. It's like that. It's up and down. Mm-hmm. And um, he just got tired of it. And one day he just said to me, I can't do this anymore. Oof. You know, um, I'm sorry, but... Uh, this is just too much. Ugh, that's and a nightmare. I, and when I was asking him what he meant by this, because he literally pointed at me and said, this is just oh, too much. God. I said, like, I'm too much? And he's like, you know, I can't just take care of you. Oh, no. All the time. And so it was really hard for me. Yeah, that, that's because, very harsh. Because it was the first time someone actually referred to... <laughs> myself as being a burden yeah. without actually saying it but enough that that was the message that, that I is got. the wrong boyfriend for you so then I met my husband uh, not too long after mm-hmm. that and uh, my husband I, I met in a bar oh good <laughs> romantic <laughs> after a long shift at the coffee shop I went to meet some friends and he was there and uh, we talked Uh, the whole night and said goodbye and never took each other's number or any kind of contact information Uh. and we went our separate ways but it was the most enjoyable conversation I had had in a long time he said nothing about you know he never asked me you know why why do you have a hard time getting around on your Mm -hmm. feet and he never talked about anything he just we talked about everything else right it wasn't you know and so then um we went our separate ways and i didn't see him for a while and then um i didn't think i'd ever see him again so that was kind of sad because Mm -hmm. i really liked him like i felt like in that moment i knew that this was a very special person connection um and he said that to me after when when we actually started dating but Mm -hmm. um we ended up meeting back in the same place, not on purpose, just right. by complete fluke. And that second time that we met, uh, he said, can I take you to dinner? And uh, I said, I'm sorry, I can't do dinner on Friday because I play poker on Fridays. Yeah, the institution. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, then can I come play poker with you? And I'm like, uh, I play poker with my dad. <laughs> and he said, well, I want to play poker with you and your dad. Oh my goodness. I thought, brave guy. <laughs> and that was it. And then we we got married three years later. We got engaged six months after we met. Okay. We got married three years later and we've been together 12 years. Aww. And it's been, I'm grateful for him because yeah. he's a really good human. <laughs> oh. Really good human and just uh, supportive and he's my best friend. So good vibes good guy yeah he's a good guy 
He's a good guy. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Go Mark. And he's, and he's supported me through six years of Concordia. I went to Concordia University. It took me six years to finish my degree. Good for you. It took it, me five years. To yeah, it was, it was challenging because I had to work. Um, yeah. And I only went back at 24. Yeah. So um, he worked and supported me. And I went, I worked at the coffee shop for nine years mm-hmm. and, and, and put myself through, through the program. And honestly, when I left there, I had big hopes and dreams of becoming this super, you know, famous writer. Oh, yeah. I, um, did. I felt that too when I graduated. I was, I was waiting to become a rich and famous writer. And the reality of that is, um, yeah, the reality of that is it doesn't happen like that. Not, um, I mean, there's still time, but yeah, yeah it usually doesn't happen when you're 29. So the awkward ballerina is a story of just Erica. Stop! You're not a university professor. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> right. So the awkward ballerina. It, it tells a story of like triumph, overcoming obstacles, and definitely that narrative is super compelling and moving for people. Like at the end of the show, I was like, oh, am I allowed to cry here? Oh, everybody's crying. So I cried. We all cried, and it was definitely beautiful. And you even say at the end, like, I hope I can be inspiring. I hope that I can maybe inspire another child who has a disability to be courageous, overcome their challenges. Uh, But there are people in the disability community who are very adamant in saying, and this is just like from, this is from memes and Instagram posts and some of my friends who I follow, like, I don't, I don't want to be your inspiration porn, like, and I mean, inspiration, I don't think it should be forbidden, but like there is a way it can get twisted to become like demeaning, ableist, patronizing. And like one example I'll never forget from a podcast I listened to is like there was a woman, I think she had an illness maybe, but she used a wheelchair and she's just going about having a day, you know, just having a regular day in her life. And somebody came up to her and was like, oh my gosh, I was having such a bad day. Like I was, I was going to kill myself today. And then I saw you and I was like, oh, well, at least I can walk. Like, thank God I can walk. Your life must be so hard. I'm so glad your life's not mine. And that's like gross and like actually not uncommon, right? Like there's a, it's just like ableism is sort of in our bones, right? That's we're just like, oh, thank God. I'm, you know, that person just gives, puts, puts it all into perspective. Like with my little brother, Glendon, that was like, oh, the poor sweetheart really makes you appreciate what you have, right? And I mean, it is maybe true a little bit. You're like, well, I mean, it is in some ways Glendon's life was much harder than everybody else's. But um, what like what do you have to say about this? Like ableism, inspiration, porn, everything. Tell us everything. So I tell you that or I told you that I'm very grateful to be able to get around and do the things that I do. But uh, in all fairness, um, when it comes to inspiration porn, I agree. I, uh, I think sometimes we say things in a way that comes out gross. That, yeah. that was gross. When I talk about inspiration in my show and I say that I hope that I inspire others it's really important to me that the, and that's why I ask people to talk to me afterwards because mm-hmm. I really want to know how they're feeling what they're thinking because different people have come to see my show from all walks of life and all different situations and so I want to hear people's thoughts even if those thoughts are things that maybe I didn't think about maybe is something that upset them mm-hmm. and I'm good with that like yeah. I'm good with being able to take that and work with that um, and, and talk to them about it, talk through it, 
with them. Uh, when I say inspire, I say I hope that I inspire people to follow their dreams and mm -hmm. to do the things that they want to do with life despite anything, whatever that is. Right. It Disability, it mental illness, matter what it is. rich Just family. Don't family. let life stop you. Life in general stop you from doing the things that you love or the things that you want to do. I It took me forever to do what I'm doing now. And I'm so glad that I'm doing it. And I'm just, there's not, there's, there's no age. Yeah. And when you should like wake up and say, hey, maybe I should do this now. If you feel like you should do it, you should do it. And whatever the obstacle is in your life that's stopping you, whether that's your own mind or, you know, another job or money or whatever it is. A bad husband. A bad husband. That you can accomplish things. It, they're hard, not always easy. It's super hard. It, it, it takes sacrificing other things. Mm -hmm. It takes, you know, work, uh, hours of work. It takes being able to talk about things you don't always want to talk about mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes, depending on what your decision is or what you're doing. But I, th I think that that's the important message that should come from what I say at the end of the show, and that is that I want people to be or I hope people are inspired because mm -hmm. I want people to walk away from it and take something from it something positive whatever that is and say hey you know what I think I don't know I've always wanted to skydive I'm gonna go do yeah. that now <laughs> you know this so that's and I'm glad that I can actually clarify that with you now because maybe there's more people thinking like I wonder what she means by yeah. By that. Well, I think there's a way. I think sometimes people are on a certain soapbox. Like, how am I saying? Like, maybe, like, they maybe could take a sort of a simplified, just take the words and not the whole story together yeah. and then be just like, well, fuck that. Like, I, you know, I don't want to be, like, I could maybe oversimplify your message. And if you look at the whole thing, it's not like yeah. all about, like, I have a disability and I overcame the, it's not like that's a very simplified, like, you're a person with, certain challenges and you overcame them some of them were harder than other people then you had the advantage of like a very supportive family right like so there were some some privilege some challenges and you came to the life I don't know we should talk about it later but it seems like a like a wonderful life like sad it like, is and in it, it a is. dream in a lot of ways so I mean it, as far as inspiration porn goes uh, the the play itself was written in order to open dialogue uh, about many issues not just one but many yeah. many 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 issues and I wrote it um in a way that I wanted everybody to be able to take something from it mm -hmm. an experience from it because I think we've all been that kid in high school and we've all had a bully we've all whether that was a, from an adult or a child or we've all experienced some kind of bullying mm -hmm. at some point in our life. Someone's all, there's always been someone to say something mean. Yeah. And some, we've all said something mean yes, too. We right? all have, have watched something. I say think something it's, mean. it's the show is there to get people talking to, mm -hmm. to ask questions, to, to bring people together mm -hmm. and to realize that none of us are perfect. Yeah. And we all, we all are guilty of not always doing or saying the right thing. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's very true. I mean, except for me and my grandmother, we never said the wrong thing. <laughs> Ugh. 
now like talking about like following the life of your dreams we now have a listener question uh here we go dear erica and Kristen, i'm stuck between a rock and a hard place i was just accepted into a theater program in college excellent and i'm going to be almost 10 years older than most of the other students I currently have a job I like in customer service, which can give me a decent-ish wage, insurance, and an 8 to 4 Monday to Friday schedule. It is not my dream job, and I don't have a diploma, but I enjoy it overall and appreciate the stability it brings. I'm hesitating on whether or not I actually want to do the theater program. I was warned that it was very demanding, and I probably couldn't work part-time at my job that I love, or at any other job for that matter. To make matters more complicated, it took me about eight years to build up the courage to apply for the program. I'm also currently in a serious relationship with a man who's planning to propose before 2025. He has his whole adult life planned out. A really good salary that comes with insurance, and he wants to buy a house and get a dog and travel. I think these people are like 25. It's adorable. Um, I don't want to feel like a financial burden to him. I'm just really worried about getting in Canadian student debt for three years, only to end up back at the same service worker job. Should I go back to school, keep my job? How can I strengthen my relationship with the man of my dreams? Love, wishing upon a star. Yeah. What do you think, Kristen? <laughs> I love I love this. I love um... I used to talk with my grandfather all the time about going back to school, what that, because my, my grandfather retired in, when he was in his early 60s and he went back to school and got a fine arts degree. Oh, that's um, a nice story. Yes. So uh, the thing is, I don't really think education has an age. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have a dream to do something or there's something you really love doing, I think you should do it no matter where you are in your life. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we don't do it and we don't take the chance or the opportunity when we have it and then we regret it. So I, I, I did just that. I quit my job and started writing. Mm-hmm. Um, should she quit her job? Well, it sounds like to do the program, she has to. So I say if you can financially do live, it. yeah, financially live, then you should totally it sounds like job. she has her husband's support. Yeah. Um, the student loans in Quebec are not so punishing. Like it's a, I, ha- I have the inside scoop here. It's a SAGEP program. So I think like the tuition isn't terrible. It's, it would just be living expenses. Like just living expenses are astronomical, but like it's not like she's not signing up for like a $100,000 no, debt that's, that's insurmountable. It. Sounds like her partner is willing to, pitch in a little bit I don't know if there's like guilt about that but I think that's fine like I think that that's okay if she has a little bit of guilt about it I mean when I quit my job I had a little bit of guilt about About it it too but he sounds supportive her partner sounds supportive so I think and it's not just like money is not the only way to contribute to a relationship sometimes we have like a hierarchy like I, I know your boyfriend is a real catch here wishing upon a star but like you are also a catch, right? And it's like, we can't just focus on money our whole lives. Like it's important to have stability, but it sounds like also, you know, you can support yourself. You've, you've gotten the job that allows you to support yourself. So you can just get that job again. No problem, right? A hundred percent. Also, I mean, 
her happiness is important, I think. Mm -hmm. She waited eight years to apply. Like, clearly you want to do this program, right? Like, if you've been thinking about it for eight years. like. So I say go for it. And I say, I think you already have a strong relationship. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like your partner doesn't want you to do that. Mm -hmm. So I would say quit your job, do do the school thing, do the mm-hmm. theater program. And at the end of that, if, if that's something you want to continue with, then you explore those options. And mm-hmm. if not, there's always that service job. Yeah. And you will thrive in the program. And so that will strengthen your relationship because yeah, I think you might get a little curmudgeonly. Like I know these people are around like mid, not quite mid twenties. So it's like, I think if you were 35 and you hadn't done it, it's just, I think you would be a bit disappointed And then the other thing I wanted to say is that like, some people think, well, yeah, don't go into debt to do arts education because it doesn't get jobs. But like, this is a, an affordable, relatively affordable program. And the thing about theater is it's just, it's a, I mean, it's all hard to do on the side, but it's very hard to like replicate being immersed in theater and going to shows and being in shows and that just being your thing. Like, it's hard to replicate that when you're working eight to four in like community theaters like it just you don't have the studio space you don't have the opportunities so it's like and maybe just a suggestion that if you do do uh, go into this theater program that you take maybe even if it's volunteer or do some work on the side even if it's a couple hours here or there mm-hmm. in in a theater setting mm-hmm. doing anything you yeah know, working uh, as a stage manager or I don't know helping out at a local theater mm-hmm. um being immersed in it also gives you kind of that drive that hey I can I can do this yeah you and know? it's yeah I mean no pressure even if you just no not just like even if you go back to your service job that doesn't matter because at the end of your life you'll be like I did that you know and you'll have had those years and that will change you as a person and it will just like I don't know I think it's critical but if you want to make like you know really take advantage of the opportunities of the program it's a good time to get involved and like meet key people and like just discover the scene that's available to you for after you graduate whether that's on a professional or like a yeah totally um personal basis well that was quick don't you think we solved that yeah totally Okay. okay Kristen that was the fastest listener question ever there's usually like just terrible relationship problems and it's like takes like half an hour so Kristen really nailed that I think you win the listener question prize well I I love all my guests I loved all your advice so wishing upon a star please write us back and let us know if you took the program and how it's going and maybe we'll have you on the show too and so now we we're going to talk about writing and creative routines. So yeah, you you quit your job as an editor to become a creative writer. And so we're pleased to hear that. That's not possible for everybody. But yeah, you got your degree at, in Concordia in literature. I did creative writing and I also was like, okay, I'm going to get to be a rich and famous writer uh, when I graduate. However, I'm still waiting, but it's okay. But yeah, you were working and then you're just like, oh, no, 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 I need to be an artist. I need to write. So how how did you make that decision? How did you come to that transition? So this all happened during the pandemic, mm-hmm. actually, because the pandemic gave you a lot of time to think. Yeah. Um, my son during the pandemic was going through the terrible twos. Oh, no. So that, <laughs> that helped in my decision making. <laughs> um, but uh, I was working from home as an editor uh, doing subtitling. Um, oh, that's yeah. a tough gig. Eh? It's very tough. And there's a lot of responsibility. It was freelance work, but 
freelance in the sense that I took on as many projects as I wanted to take on. However, often those prod you know, those projects, you take one or two projects and you're working on them for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so often my days would look like anything between 12 and 14 hours no. um, and sometimes seven days. Some, you know, and I wasn't being paid all that much. So it's not, no, it's not. I wasn't well being paid all that much. And it's not that money is like, the, it's not for me, it's not the most important thing at mm-hmm. all. And I, you know, always wanted to do a job that I liked doing and if I liked doing it then as long as I could pay my bills you're happy I was happy so I was with the company for six years and I moved up the ladder as far as you know editing goes I I was a senior editor when I stopped working there my goal in my end game with them was to end up in their creative department that never happened for me right because it's just no freelance creative department right so the pandemic really took a toll on my psychic you know psyche mental mental health yeah I uh two-year-old was the worst age to have yeah so two-year-old during a pandemic he was home from daycare because I didn't want him to get sick and we didn't know what what was going on Mm -hmm. not seeing family not seeing friends the way that we would normally Mm -hmm. not not to say that I didn't see my mom my mom came and helped um, I saw my dad and my stepmom and, mm-hmm. you know, and whatnot, but just not being out with people the way mm-hmm. that we normally were was very hard. Yeah. And then working crazy hours with a no, two-year-old no. screaming in the background. It's a nightmare. With no end game in sight at that point, I was like, what am I doing? I don't even like my job anymore. No. Um, and I just found, I sat there one day and started crying. Like I just started crying and... <laughs> My husband, so Mark says to me, what's wrong? And I said, I, I don't know if I can. I, uh, and he saw that I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. He said, quit your job. Oh, Mark. And I, you know, that wasn't a thing for me. Quit your job. Like quit your job, man. What do you mean? That means what? how am I supposed to pay for things? Right. But I mean, we're a team. We're, yeah. We work together. And you have a little kid. And too, we have but... a little kid. So and my husband has a company and. Mm-hmm. You know, so he says to me, we'll make it work. Whatever will make it work. You're going to do it because I know that if you don't do it, you're never going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I quit. Ugh. I quit and I, I uh, started to write. I actually started by my grandfather um, is no longer with us, but he was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I started by recording sessions with him oh. about his life. So I was going to start writing about his life. And I was going through old papers, like old stories I had written, uh, short stories that I had written. I came across one that I had written while I was in university called Peanut Butter and Jelly Sandwiches. And it talks about my surgery and what what that experience was with like. With the for kids me. in the hospital. Yeah. Some of the first kids you ever met with disabilities. So that story maybe. is actually in my show. Yeah. It's, it's been adapted to the show. And then we were invited to a Zoom benefit online which was hosted by my uh, husband's uncle Mm -hmm. Jacques Lalonde and he um, I'll be forever grateful to him because it changed my life to to be on that benefit but he had some artists drop out at the last minute and Uh so he asked if anyone had wanted to read anything and so I ended up reading this short story oh good and Jacques and I got to talking after and he said, I'd like you to meet T.J. Daw. 
Oh. So he kind of set me up with TJ and, and uh, TJ Daw and TJ, ha- TJ Daw and Megan Phillips have this solo play workshop. Yeah, he's that come they up do. on the podcast before. Yeah, so I, I joined it. And from that small short story came the awkward ballerina. I just learned how to write a solo show. That's what I did with my time during the pandemic. Learned how to write a solo show with a bunch of other fellow artists and writers. And, and it was quite... Uh, liberating to have to do something I loved to create to be in a different mindset mm-hmm. completely different mindset and I started to work with TJ one-on-one uh, he was my dramaturge and then I asked him to direct the show uh-huh. and he agreed and it was like a total life-changing experience for me and has been and I'm, I'm so glad I don't even look back now because I, I, I look back on on where I was and where I am and where the show is. And I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. So, I can't wait to do more. And now I'm working on my second show, which is actually, it's done. It's Okay. I've completed it. I'm pregnant and it's still awkward. Yeah, pregnant and it's still awkward. Yeah. And that's so, it's basically a part two to the awkward ballerina, yeah. but it doesn't talk about that, that stage of my life anymore. It talks about my experience having Patrick, what that was like. And Uh and basically we visit the nine months of my pregnancy. Which was awkward. Which was awkward. Yes. And yeah, so I'm really excited about, I mean, obviously it has some work. I have some work to do on Mm -hmm. it to fine tune it and get it to where I, where I want it to be. But I'm hoping by next summer that I'll be able to perform it to perform it. Oh, great. Um, this is a total. And the thing is with pregnant and it's still awkward. This is totally different vibe. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not a kid's show. Okay. So, and it, and it has a comedic vibe to it. It's yeah. way, it's much less serious, much more fun. And when I say fun, I mean like it, it, it it's meant for people to laugh and to kind of let loose. You're closer to like, you're performing on behalf of, the version of yourself that's closer to who you are now, I guess. Exactly. Right? So. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of I've opened myself up. Yeah. And it and it's funny to see that that uh, transition from the awkward ballerina to this next show. So I'm really excited about yeah. about it and and what people think in the yeah. end, what people are going to think about it. So yeah, yeah. Still, yeah, TJ Daw sounds legendary. He's out west, right? But, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Vancouver. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, TJ is probably one of the nicest people (laughs) i've ever met Uh, oh they all are honestly i'm so glad to have met every person that i met in those work because i did all of the levels of like he has three levels in the Uh workshop and i've done them all and i've and i've actually done level two and level three a second time oh wow okay you're a frequent flyer just because i enjoy it just because i enjoy being with others and creating with others and hearing other people's creations yeah. and sharing just sharing in our experiences and in, in our art I mean for me that's pretty pretty great when you can have a community yeah like that. no that sounds really special uh but on your website you say that like once you started writing for the stage like that sort of changed everything like before you're trying to write short stories and like maybe it was working maybe not there's a lot of pressure to be like I'm gonna write a novel now I mean I've done it but feels like hit or miss but then when you have the audience you're expecting the audience like how does that change things so you know I was afraid to talk to people about it out loud it's kind of seemed easier to just 
hide. Right. <laughs> um, and like have people read my words instead of Because you don't have to, to be them. there. Exactly. It doesn't look like I'm shy because I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm shy if I'm having a conversation with people or I go to a party and I hang out with people. But, you know, whenever all eyes are on, on me and, you know, people are waiting to hear very personal stories and, and very personal things, it, it doesn't, it's not an easy right. thing. Yeah. Um, Vulnerable. But I'm so glad I'm doing it because I've always liked telling stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read stories to my son every night and when I read stories, I do all the little voices yeah. and, you know, and I enjoy doing it. Yeah. It's like church. You gotta um, do it. It's just fun. It's yeah. just fun. And it, and believe it or not, I feel much more connected to my audience to be able to be in the same room and, and talk about what happened. It just connects me to people and I love being connected to people. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm glad I'm doing that now instead. It was, it was a challenge. Because when I look at my work when I started and where the show is now, I mean, it doesn't even look like the same thing. Because when I started writing it, I started writing it for a book. Yeah. So when I read it out loud, it sounded like I was reading a book. Yeah. Boring. Yeah. Um, I mean, not boring. And not that people, not you know, and people in an audience when you when you get on stage and you're talking to people in an audience, they're not going to want you to read chapters in a book. Mm -mm. They're they're not there to read you have to bring it alive yeah and so you have to write it differently you have to deliver it differently it gave me a challenge yeah and I'm glad probably that's what I love most about it right (laughs) it pushes me to write in a different way as well Mm -hmm. um I still have every intention of writing a book yeah but I have no intention of giving up storytelling yeah because I love it and who knows you know I say I'm right now I'm writing stories about my personal experiences but Maybe one day I write something that's completely yeah, like fiction made up. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I decided to really when when I when I dipped my toes and I I went with my whole foot. Yeah. Um. And so now I have the website and and I have the show and then I I'm planning on teaching a creative writing workshop mm-hmm. in the fall. Um. Yeah. Yeah. All in. And do you have a creative routine? So yes. Well, music, like I said, is a big part of my life. So I listen to music every single day. When I write, I always listen to music. Okay. Um, and usually the type of music I listen to is like an acoustic version of songs that I really love. Okay, yeah. Um, because it just puts me in kind of in that vibe of like and the calm words. and calm. But at the same time, the music, the, the song might not be considered a calm. Oh, there's your person. We forgot to text them to say we're running late. We can keep, yeah. they can come. Yeah. Do you want to do yeah, that? Yeah, They can it's come. okay. We're almost done. Then they have to come. Well, oh my goodness, this is special. So we have some special VIP visitors. We've never had, we're doing a live taping here. So we just have a few questions left because... Kristen's so interesting that we are long, uh, running a bit long. So yeah, we have Mark, the famous husband and dad, and then Patrick, the five-year-olds. So this has never happened. Nobody's ever watched a recording. So this is very exciting. Uh, So we just have a couple more questions. So you were, oh yeah, so creative routine. So you listen to lots of music and acoustic music so the words don't distract you maybe. And then like how many hours? What do you like? So normally... I normally do kind of an icebreaker where I write just a bunch of ideas or things that I'm thinking about 
that day. Sometimes it's just stuff about what's going around the house. And mm-hmm. then I kind of just build on that. And then it might spark some kind of idea of what I want to write about that day. But I always, when I write, I always, if I'm not feeling it for some reason, I just say, okay, well, I'm going to write about that object, you know, a chair, something something, as simple as a chair. I'm going to write about that chair and I'm just going to write as much as I can about that chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that sometimes sparks something else, something else. else. Um, Because I don't always want to write about something that happened uh, or something, you know, sometimes I just want to write about something that didn't happen. Yeah. And I sometimes... I haven't done it in a while because we've been so, so busy, but I was also doing yoga every morning. Oh. A a seated yoga. Mm -hmm. So, and that would kind of put me in the mindset of, okay, I'm relaxed and I'm not thinking about anything else right now except for my breathing. And then that would put me in in this kind of flowy state. Yeah, just kind of this very calm Zen vibe and I'd be ready to write. It Mm -hmm. just, it would... It would get me going. And is this before your household wakes up or after they go to school? No, normally they're not in the house anymore because otherwise forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise forget it. Normally first thing in the morning I'm making peanut butter and jelly on toast and, uh, you know, making chocolate milk and and drinking coffee. Okay. Um, But yeah, uh, those are kind of my things. And sometimes if none of that's working, I read somebody else's stuff. Oh, Oh, you sound creatively healthy. You never cry when you're writing? uh, All the time. Oh, okay. Because you're frustrated (laughs) with yourself or because you're going back into like... Sometimes it's because I feel like the ideas are not coming. Okay. Sometimes it's because I'm writing about something very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandfather was a big part of my life. He passed away Mm -hmm. a year ago. Yeah, that's a uh, big loss. That's a huge... um, That happens to be a huge part of my writing um and so then when I write about that gets me really emotional really sad um sad and happy at the same time in the sense that I had him for a very long time Mm -hmm. so I'm how old was he was 86 okay and I'm super grateful for he was probably one of my biggest supports oh and he knew that I was writing the show yeah so he didn't get to see it he didn't get to see it but he knew and he encouraged me and he was so glad. He was so happy I quit my job and started oh, writing. Oh, we um, love grandpa. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, he always wanted me to write and so did my mom. And, and, and you know, for me, having that support is super great. Yeah, that's big. Um, but yeah, so as far as routines go, that's it. So music and yoga and sometimes just getting I like to write outside so outside really helps probably not when it's 37 degrees but yeah (laughs) um I love to write outside and we have a beautiful um backyard space like we have a forest right behind the house so it's quite a nice place with lots of birds and bunny rabbits and (laughs) all of those beautiful things so (laughs) and then and you drink coffee, right? Huh? Oh, yeah. Lots. How many? <laughs> um, not so much now. I two. used to drink a lot more, but now like maybe two a day. Okay. Reasonable. Okay. Two a day. And my coffee is very important to my morning. My, Creativity. My morning. So it's, it's probably more of like a, that's what kind of drives me forward in the morning. Yeah. Like, okay, the day has started. Will I've had to my live. coffee. Okay. I quit. I quit switch to decaf, but I have lost the will to live since then. In 2020, I quit <laughs> and I haven't been the same person. I had a small dose this morning and I, I think it's good. 
So coffee, peanut butter and jelly. Oh, what about cleaning routines? It's our last routine. So that I'm I'm like I clean my house, but I I'm I'm a okay, that looks clean. <laughs> yeah, okay. I I'm not the type of cleaner that moves every little thing. I'm the type of person that won't you know, go behind the door. I I vacuumed. The floor looks mostly vacuumed. Yeah. The behind the door could wait till yeah. next week. I don't care if my cushions are not in the perfect place on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, my dishes get done. I'm like, I, I clean, but I... You clean when you need to. I look at it to. like cleaning needs to get done, but there's a lot of other things in life mm-hmm. that are super important. Um, <laughs> So I just try not to make it my main... Yeah. It's never a main thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm not saying I never have cleaning days. I mm-hmm. guess there are cleaning days, but really I'm more of a sporadic cleaner in the sense that like I don't have a specific laundry day. Right. It's not a religious situation. If I need laundry, I do laundry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of chill Flex. that way. Yeah. Okay. And you, you probably have a fulfilling life as a result because I'm crazy about cleaning. Just <laughs> nuts. I mean... Oh, Mark, it just raised his hand. He is also crazy about cleaning. Yeah. It's such a nice, it's nice, a nice sense of agency. I love cleaning. Patrick, do you like cleaning? He is nodding his head. No, Patrick doesn't like cleaning. So we're two against two here. I think, oh, wait, the last thing, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? So uh, Mark and I were talking about this in the car on the way here because I, I literally said to him, there are so many things. Yeah, all the things. <laughs> um, that I would love to change. But one of the things that him and I both agree on, and the best way I think he put it is, our power over time. Oh, okay. Um, because time is relates to so many things, you know. Life is very short. We always live in fast forward mode, mm-hmm. most of us anyways. And we forget to take time um, mm-hmm. to to do the little things and Mm -hmm. um, talk about the things and be with the people. And we just don't always do that. We, Mm -hmm. life just gets in the way, work and responsibilities and cleaning, cleaning. (laughs) So I think our power over time, like if, if we could control time and make it a little bit easier to spend that extra minute or no. Yeah. That would be kind of a cool thing to be able to like just to have to be able to stop time or just to stop and it. and maybe take in, you know, a special moment or a special conversation. Yeah. Time yeah. with the people we love for what's really important. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh and so now we're going to do the song and if we're lucky, we're going to have a special singer on the microphone besides Kristen. Oh my goodness. Okay, so thanks everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, so we're back and we are going to sing Wagon Wheel. And this is a special song for Kristen because she sings it to Patrick every day, right? Before you go to bed. He's nodding. Okay, so now we're all going to sing. This is so cute. I think, okay, we'll take it. Remind me to take a photo after. This is adorable. Okay, so I'll do a little intro and then we join. Okay, I'm... I feel awkward. Okay. I played this like only a hundred times getting ready. (laughs) 
headed down south to the land of the pines. I'm thumbing my way into North Carolina, staring at the road. Pray to God I see headlights. I made it down the coast in 17 hours, picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers, and I'm hoping for rally I can see my baby tonight. Okay, ready? That's a rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. Rock me, mama, any way you feel. Hey, hey, mama, rock me. Rock me, mama, like the wind and the rain. Rock me, mama, like a southbound train. Hey, hey, mama, rock me. Running from the cold up in New England, I was born to be a fiddler in an old-time string band. My baby plays a guitar, I'll pick a banjo now. Oh, and North Country winters keep getting me down. I lost my money playing poker, so I had to up and leave. Then I ain't a turning back, living that old life no more. So rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. Rock me, mama, any way you feel. Mama like the wind and the rain Rock me, Mama like a southbound train Hey, Mama rock me hey. That was the best. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Okay, and then we're almost done. Just maybe give your mom the mic just to wrap up. So thank you so much, Kristen. And where, so you're working on your show that's going to come out probably next year. But where can people find you in the meantime? So I uh, just, we just finished my new website. So mm-hmm. it's uh, com. Okay. And you can actually send me a message directly from there. Mm-hmm. I have a blog page yeah. so um, I intend to actually keep up with that been so busy since the fringe. fringe yeah but yeah so you can make comments on my blog you can send me an email directly um, you can actually post your own blog mm-hmm. uh, on my blog page so if anyone wants to contribute a story oh, yeah, of their own idea. they can and then also I have a Facebook page so two left feet productions um, Montreal mm-hmm. uh, on Facebook or on Instagram okay. two left feet productions Montreal. Okay. Pretty great. We'll link to all of that. Everybody will follow you. And I think that's it. Got anything else, anybody? No, I think we're good, eh, guys? Okay. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you on the other side. I loved that. Thank you so much, Kristen. And thank you to Mark and Patrick for your surprise guest appearance. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you made it all the way to the end, oh my goodness, you nailed it. You did so good. Uh, Slide into my DMs, tell me what you think, and you might get a special shout out at the end of a future episode. For example, today's special shout out goes to Kyle Stevenson 6. Kyle is my beloved push-up coach and a rising YouTube star. You can file you can <laughs> you can follow Kyle Stevenson 6 on YouTube for his public access TV writing channel and watch as Kyle writes a TV pilot right before your eyes. It's great for a laugh. You'll have a great laugh. Um okay. 
Thank you to my darling big sister, Tess Levitt, who helped me refine the inspiration for this podcast. Thank you to Sherwin Tijia, my creative and technical advisor and most cherished friend whose name I have mispronounced for about eight years. So I apologize. It's Tijia, I think, not Tija. So love you, Sherwin. <laughs> Uh, follow Sherwin on Facebook at Sherwin's Quirky Events and have a blast. Thank you to my aunt, the dearly departed Eileen Gunn, whose surprise and generous gift allowed me to purchase my new podcast equipment. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for everything. And like Kristen and Brene Brown would say, uh, stay grateful and awkward and Try to be a little extra kind to yourself and to your peeps and to the people you don't really know very well. You know, just give everybody a little extra grace today, this week, and as long as you can. So that's it. Okay, let's do the theme song. All right, you ready? Sing along if you can. This is your strange and beautiful life. Okay, thanks again for listening, everybody. Love you, bye.